0: My name is Sarah Bartley, and I am pleased to be here as we continue our series on Union with Christ. Um, next week, Cindy is preaching. It's the last week of the series. Um, no? All right. It is the second to last next week, making this the third to last. Um, by way of a very brief summary, we said that Union with Christ is the most important doctrine, of our faith. It is the umbrella doctrine that everything else fits under through our union with Christ. We're justified, sanctified, adopted, healed, cleansed. We've become royalties, royalty and heirs to a kingdom. Um, We share in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. According to the Anglican theologian John Stott, The phrase, in Christ, in the Lord, or in Him, can be found 164 times just in Paul's letters alone, not including the other New Testament writers. And I think the fact that its usage is so widespread by him tells us a few things. First, union with Christ is central to understanding who. Jesus is and who we are in relation to him second I think it's used so often because it's hard to understand it's a mystery um, that can't easily be explained and so it's given to us in slightly different language over and over and over again and using all kinds of metaphors to express different aspects of our being united to Christ the Jordan and Bishop Ken talked about a few of these during the series, talked about being married to Christ, um, talked about being a part of his body, um, a work of art, a branch that is connected to a vine. Um, and we've been careful to distinguish between union with Christ and communion with Christ. Union with Christ is the reality of who we are, and what's true about us because of our relationship to Jesus. It's a secure status that doesn't change, doesn't fluctuate with our emotions or experiences. We are not more united to Christ on Sunday morning than the rest of the week, or more united to Christ when we're praying or reading our Bible, or when we've been following him for 50 years. In contrast, our communion with Christ does fluctuate. When we talk about communion, we're talking about the experiences and emotions um, that surround and animate our faith. So our communion with Christ can be thought of as our awareness of the reality of our union with Christ. And so you can be in a place where your faith feels very strong or very weak, where you're feeling good about your life and your faithfulness or feeling terrible because you're stuck in sin you're united to christ either way that that doesn't change um but our communion our awareness of that union definitely does and last week Jordan spoke about um, the command from John 15 for us to abide in Christ the way that a branch abides in its vine. And he described what we call the ordinary means of grace. Um, And these are the things that we take advantage of on a routine basis to strengthen our communion with Christ. Um, Scripture, prayer, the sacraments, corporate worship. Um, These things increase our felt sense of our union to Christ. They make us aware that we are a bride, a friend, a brother or sister, a lamb, a disciple. And this is how the Spirit ordinarily applies that reality to our hearts. Scripture, prayer, sacraments, worship. They are ways that we show up to be blessed by God. Um, and this morning, I'm going to say a few things, because we are doing the super-shortened service, um, about something else that deepens our communion with Christ. And it gets its own category, because this isn't something that we initiate, that we go um, seeking after to grow in our faith. Um, but it will come to find us, whoever we are, and whatever we're doing. Um, Talking about suffering, abiding in Christ through our suffering, um, which some would call its own means of grace. You know, it's the gift that no one wants. Um, because when we're united to Christ, we're united to a man of sorrows familiar with suffering, or a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And that's how the prophet Isaiah describes the Messiah who's to come, that he will be a man of sorrows. Um, Jesus was born in a barn, and he died on a cross, and in between, he was betrayed and hungry and impoverished, um, and suffered every kind of pain. We can't be united to him apart from his suffering. Um... Paul also writes about our sharing in his sufferings in a few different ways, which I've never understood. But I think it at least means something about um, our solidarity, Christ's solidarity with us. We suffer with We share in his sufferings as his body, his people, and he shares in our sufferings. Um, when Saul is persecuting his followers in the in the book of Acts you know Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me? not why are you persecuting my people um, there's something about our union with Christ that 's inseparable from our suffering and christ 's suffering um, I think that it, Suffering can be a means of grace in that it applies the truth of our union with Christ to our hearts in a way that nothing else can. we can know in our minds God loves me i 'm forgiven through Christ God is always with me, and when things are going well, we tend not to take those things we tend to take those things for granted we don 't question them um, but Suffering can strengthen us because it presses us to believe the things that we know. Um, C.S. Lewis expresses this beautifully in his book, A Grief Observed, which if you haven't read it, this is a personal journal that he kept to process his grief after his wife died of bone cancer in 1960. And it has since come to be used as A devotional by others who are grieving because he expresses so honestly um, the pain and confusion of grief. The section that I'm going to read um, is right after he's been writing about his depression. And he says, Feelings and feelings and feelings. Let me try thinking instead. From the rational point of view, what new factor has her death introduced into the problem of the universe? What grounds has it given me for doubting all that I believe? I knew already that these things and worse happened daily. I would have said that I had taken them into account. I had been warned, I had warned myself not to reckon on worldly happiness. We were even promised sufferings. They were part of the program we were even told, blessed are they that mourn, and I accepted it. I've gotten nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it's different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not in imagination. Yes, but should it for a sane man make quite such a difference as this? No. And it wouldn't for a man whose faith had been real faith and whose concern for other people's sorrows had been real concern. The case is too plain. If my house has collapsed at one blow, that is because it was a house of cards. The faith which took these things into account was not faith, but imagination. The taking them into account was not real sympathy, If I had really cared, as I thought I did, about the sorrows of the world, I should not have been so overwhelmed when my own sorrow came. It has been an imaginary faith, playing with innocuous counters, poker chips, labeled illness, pain, death, loneliness. I thought I trusted the rope until it mattered to me whether it would bear me. Now it matters, and I find I didn't. Bridge players tell me that there must be some money on the game or else people won't take it seriously. Apparently it's like that. Your bid, for God or no God, for a good God or the cosmic sadist, for eternal life or for non-entity, will not be serious if nothing much is staked on it. And you will never discover how serious it was until the stakes are raised horribly high until you find that you are playing not for counters or for sixpences, but for every penny that you have in the world. It is our suffering that reveals what we really believe. And sometimes it's very humbling and even shocking. Um, When things are going well, our beliefs are not tested in the same way. Uh, when we are suffering great loss, we start to hear Job's comforters whisper in our ear. Are you sure you're not being punished for something? It seems like you are. You think God really loves you? Would he treat you like this if he did? You need to confess something to make this go away? And that is where the Spirit applies the truth of our union with Christ to our hearts, because it has become a matter of life or death for us. Um, I will give you one more example of this, because um, I think it's important to use the voices of people who are going through deep suffering to talk about this. And it's really well illustrated by the hymn that we sang this morning, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, The man who wrote that, his name was Horatio Spafford. Um, He lived in the mid-1800s. He was a wealthy um, real estate guy and lawyer in Chicago. He owned a bunch of land. He and his wife, Anna, had five children, a son and four daughters. Um, And by all accounts, they were devout followers of Christ. They were very generous with their wealth, Um, In 1870, their four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. The following year, a huge fire swept through Chicago and destroyed most of his property. And still, he gave what he had to people who had less. Two years after that, Horatio put his wife and daughters on a steamship to England, um, where he would meet up with them later. He was planning to meet up with them later for a vacation. And on the way, their ship collided... With an iron sailing ship, and it went down. Anna survived. The four daughters all died. Um, And obviously, the couple was devastated and they're grieving on opposite sides of the ocean. Eventually, Horatio is able to um, join his wife, and he takes the same voyage. Um, and when they get to the place in the ocean where the accident happened, the captain told him, this is, this is where we were. Um, and he wrote at least two things in response to that day. The first was a letter to his sister-in-law saying that he did not believe his daughters were three miles down at the bottom of the ocean. He could not think of them there because he said, I know that those lambs are with their shepherd. Um, He also wrote, It is well with my soul, which sounds different um, when you know that story. I'll read the second and third verses. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. And that leads you to wonder why a man who has suffered so much loss is compelled to write a song of praise to God for forgiveness of his sin. Um, The book that we've been reading for this series by Rankin Wilborn is called Union with Christ. And he has this to say about that. He writes, the only way it can be well with your soul in the midst of agonizing personal trauma is if you know And are assured that you are covered in Christ. This is why Spafford, as he processed his own grief, calls to mind the complete sufficiency of Christ's cross to bear the penalty of all his sins. This is how he doesn't succumb to the torment of thinking he's being punished or condemned for his own sins. Or that he has brought this suffering down on himself or on those he loves. He writes this hymn of praise to a God who has lost a child as well. Spafford's loss was involuntary, but God voluntarily chose to give up his own son for us all on the cross to deliver us. Mindful of this bond of sorrow, Spafford allows his sufferings to bring him closer to God. It's not that he's being punished. When he feels that he's being punished, he can look at the cross and say, that's a lie. I'm not. No, it's not that God has forgotten him or doesn't care. Again, he can look at the cross. And it brings him comfort in his sorrow. So I will close with this question. Uh, What do you believe that Jesus is doing right now? Hebrews tells us that he is seated on a throne of grace, praying for you and inviting you to come to him with your pain and your needs. In sympathy, he is regarding your helpless estate, empathizing with you and your weaknesses because he is a man of sorrows and you are united to him. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen.